0: You were right about Pisistratus. He's Weasley. He's a tyrant now. He took our arms. And Solon responds with, You put his your weapons into his hands. Now as his slaves, you must do as he commands.
1: You are listening to And If Love Remains. A unique show spotlighting people, ideas, science, culture, and art. Your host... Mike Lovett. Mike Lovett you are listening to that great podcast in the sky and if love remains I am your host Mike Lovett and I have with me the Lion of liberty the preacher of freedom the man the machine the legend Brother Joey Wolverton welcome thank
0: you Michael um yeah I am grateful for those titles I man I'd like to be worthy of those titles you know like uh I remember something that Lord Byron called Patrick Henry the forest-born Demosthenes. Ooh. <laughs> and I always thought, man, I would love to be known. First of all, to be called anything by Lord Byron, you know, would be, Just be, would be an honor. Lord to Byron. be to even have your name known to right. someone like Lord Byron and to have him call you the forest-born Demosthenes demosthenes so yeah i i need to live worthy of any sort of title at least i didn't give myself the title
1: you know what i mean it's true no you know, these are these are titles ty- and they are i find them worthy because the things that you teach the things have been have affected me greatly and um you know and if it's just for me hey you're my line of liberty so that thank you man i appreciate
0: <laughs> i appreciate that so so much
1: well i'm i'm really pumped um because we're going to be talking some Cato's letters, and and this is kind of a take two on our. Um, those of you, you may have noticed that that we've got um, uh, Cato's letter sixty nine. Um, the audio wasn't great on that one, and so we're gonna we're gonna do it again. I'm gonna keep that up because I'm sure we're gonna cover. Well, while, while while we will cover a lot of the same information, I'm sure some new things will come up because they always do. Because this stuff is so deep, like there's no there's no bottom to this stuff. So I'm, I'm excited to go over it. We're going to talk about Cato 69. Um, And I think it's important um, just to kind of give us a, a, um, a place in history. I think it's, uh, one of the things that you and I have talked about is the importance of, of getting this information out and making it palatable, making it understandable, you know, maybe helping people to be inspired. Like we've been inspired by this, this great work. Um, So talk a little bit about your relationship to Cato's letters and um, you know, what, what it's all about.
0: Yeah. So my, uh, my relationship to Cato's letters is um, in college. um, I'll just give you the really short version. because I think I've told this story on your podcast so many times, but in college um, I was the first uh, person on either side of my family to go to college. And I really was a a short dog in, in tall grass. I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't, you know, I remember showing up to class the first day and having homework due. And I was like, how did y'all know about any home? We haven't even had class. Well, little did I know that, you know, on the board in the building, there was homework for the first day of class. I didn't know that at all. Right. And uh, no one had told me about that. And so anyway, uh, I had a professor there that um, I'd gone to him. And asked and basically told him I was going to drop out. And he told me, you know, you're, you're a bright kid. You're just ignorant. And he's like, you know, you can overcome your ignorance. And he gave me the assignment of going, taking the Federalist and eventually the Anti-Federalist and looking just the, the mass market paperback versions and just looking in the indices of those two books and uh, writing down any names that I didn't recognize. Mm-hmm. And of course, pretty much all of them. Anyway, long story short, one of the books that were repeatedly mentioned by our founding fathers was uh, Cato's Letters by Trenchard, John Trenchard, and Thomas Gordon. And so I think my first foray into all of this was Algernon Sidney. And I noticed, so I read Discourses Concerning Government by Algernon Sidney, which, you know, Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, when they founded, the University of Virginia, uh, Algernon Sidney's Discourses on Government was named as one of the four books incoming freshmen should have read prior to matriculating at uh, at UVA. And Jefferson had said in a letter that if we are to maintain our system of government, that it was necessary that Discourses Concerning Government be put into the hand of every american youth as soon as he's able to under to understand what's being written yeah uh which i mean imagine today if instead of reading you know dick and jane or harry potter or whatever else you know uh you know a hungry hungry caterpillar or whatever people read imagine if they were i'm serious yeah because you rise to the level of the competition and if you are given a book i remember being in in you know fourth grade and thinking this is ridiculous Like that I'm reading this is an embarrassment. And so imagine if we really handed discourses. Well, going back to Cato's letters. So I remember uh, when I was in Cato's letters by Trenchard and Gordon, I remember one of them and it was a pretty early, you know, it was pretty early on in the series. So what they did is they wrote letters to the editor in London once, one letter a week published in a London newspaper Basically, at the beginning, calling out the uh, the destruction of British power that was uh, affected by the surrender by Parliament to a private company of the British monetary uh, policy. Right. It was. It's called the South Sea Company. And if you are to read it, you will see that the South Sea Company is the Federal Reserve. Yeah, And the government of Britain had given to some of their very powerful friends in the South Sea Company power over the currency, power over just their monetary policy, period. And that's how they start out. They start out saying, these guys are not elected. These guys are, you know, they are not accountable to the people of England and they're ruining England. Well, they go on and in their letters, they call out tyranny Mm -hmm. in all its forms. And I noticed that early on in the letters, they had one where they quoted something from Discourse's whole cloth. They just say, this is this quoted directly from Algernon Sidney who was one of their heroes. And so anyway, Cato's letters, and then I come to find out that the founding, so these letters were written about the time that our founding father's parents were being born. And so scholars have come to call Cato's letters the dress rehearsal for revolution. In other words, they didn't come right at the revolution. They came a generation before our revolutionary fathers. They were the John
1: the Baptist
0: of. Right. They were exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They were the John the Baptist. And so, our, you know, a, a really good story. I wrote a biography of James Madison. And one of the stories that I read that doesn't really get repeated, I mean, I think the last time it was mentioned in a biography of Madison was one that was written in the 1880s. But Madison, you know, his his family, the Madison family, they had a lot of land, but they weren't, they they didn't have cash. They They couldn't have just given you cash on hand. They were always, you know, riding that precipice, you know, between prosperity and poverty, right? And, but they had a lot of land. And so anyway, James Madison, the president's father, who was also James Madison, he did a lot of uh, business with England. And so he had come to know about Trenchard and Gordon. And he, although he couldn't afford, so they eventually in England bound all these letters together. And that was in Gordon's lifetime. They bound them together. But uh, James Madison Sr. could not afford to buy the bound copy of Cato's uh, book. Books Kato's. Were really
1: expensive then.
0: Right, right. It was very expensive. There was no Amazon. You know, right. you couldn't just- <laughs> No Kindle version. Uh, you couldn't get it. Yeah, <laughs> Madison on his Kindle. Like, but um, So what he would do is he would buy maybe one or two of them, and then he would bring them home, and Nellie Madison, Madison's mom, would sew them together like literally sew them together in sort of a homemade book so that little Jimmy, as they called him, so that he could have them to read. So that by the time he became, you know, he was 11 years old and had his first tutor. Because of course, like every one of our founding fathers, literally, not exaggerating, every one of them was homeschooled. Uh, Every one of them taught at home uh, their whole lives. Now, some of them like Madison, James Madison, when he was 11, his dad got together with dads in that area. I, I right. hate to say neighborhood because the closest house was like two miles. <laughs> right. But in that neighborhood, and they hired a teacher, Donald Robertson. Uh, and he was 11. And James Madison, in his autobiography, which is, is t- astonishingly about 16 pages long, <laughs> <laughs> which is remarkable when you realize that. Kim Whoa. Kardashian's memoirs are like two volumes. <laughs> and James Madison's autobiography is like 16 pages. Yeah. And in there, he writes that almost everything he achieved in life, he owed to Donald Robertson. Wow. And Donald Robertson, that's a story. I'm, I'm writing a biography of Donald Robertson because the story is insane. The story, but we won't get into that. Back to Cato's letter. So, uh, you know, the Madisons were insistent that... James, when he show up at the building that the dads had built for uh, Mr. Robertson to hold his school there in Virginia, in Orange County, that he, um, that he have, he know who, Trenchard and Gordon, he'd be familiar with certain things. And so there was his mom sewing together little individual one-offs of Cato's letters, because Mike, I mean, something else, you know, you've got to realize- we're talking, these were written in the early 1720s. Yeah. 20 years before Madison was born, 22 years before he was born. And they were reprinted in every colonial newspaper from Savannah to Boston. Wow. Every one of them, they were reprinted. And it was the most reprinted letter in, in colonial times. And so, you see that our founding fathers, their letters, their speeches drip with references from Trenchard and Gordon, and so often that many times they don't even credit them. Yeah, it's assumed that you know, right? Yeah, but if you read their letters, they'll say something like, "You know how the how the esteemed Mr. Trenchard would say," or they would say, "As Cato said," and not meaning. Cato, you know, the Roman statesman. Eight. They mean Cato, John Trenchard, and Thomas Gordon. And so I came to read them because of my desire to read everything that the founding fathers read, the idea being, I have a shot of valuing liberty, putting the same value on liberty as the founding fathers did. If I learned about liberty from the same sources they did. yeah, And so that was my goal. And I remember talking to one of my friends and saying, you know, I want to put together a library of all the things they read just by going through their references, by going through their letters, their speeches, their sermons, all of this, their their commonplace books and saying, if they read it, I want to read it. Because obviously, Mike, their reading of these things, uh, as Shakespeare would, stay, it would say, you know, screwed their courage to the sticking point. Yeah, you know, it made it where they appreciated the divine uh, provenance of liberty, and they appreciated that sometimes liberty, that celestial object, as Thomas Paine called it, has a cost that is. High, right. The cost of blood, you see. And um, so now my my mission in life literally is to do all that I can to familiarize uh, kids, mainly I aim at you know high school, college age kids, but adults as well, with the books that our founding fathers read and quoted and like I say, one of the most often, they're in the top 10, they're in the top five most often quoted authors by the founding fathers, John Trenchard, Thomas Gordon, who wrote together under the name Cato, England, 1720s. And everyone, Mike, I'm telling I even have a series. I used to do a TikTok yeah. account where I would, every, every, I think it was Friday- because that's the way the dates lined up. So they did, they continued publishing their letters in 1723. And since we're in 2023, it's exactly 300 years. So I would do this thing to sort of challenge myself. And then I decided to start recording it for TikTok. What did Trenchard and Gordon write 300 years ago today that is completely applicable to our own time? And never once did it fail. Yeah. You know, I did that for months where it was like, boom, this is what they're writing about and look how it's applicable to our own time. And so when you get, there's sort of this, you just go down the table of contents and the very titles that they they gave to these letters. Remember, they're just letters to the editor of these papers, of this paper. And when you get on the titles, you need no more than read the titles and you want to jump in.
1: Yeah. No, that that's absolutely true. Um, and there's, there's so many like things I I, want to kind of talk about for a second. And that's one of them is, um, the importance of telling the truth about the cost of Liberty. And you, you mentioned that, um, and how important that is not just why that's important today. It's important to tell the truth because it's important for people, to recognize the pattern that's happening and how we can. And and when they see it today, they go, okay, we're living in this time. We're living in the days preceding the revolution. We're living in the days of, and, and, and history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it does rhyme as someone famous said, I'm sure. <laughs> and I think, I think having this, this stuff, making it well known what treasure and Gordon said is, can be a prelude to, our revolution to our time of saying, you know, can we prick the hearts of those um, mothers in the future who will be, you know, sewing the, the, um, the, the books and making sure that their children are reading the things from, you know, from the bottle, from the breast, that they'll be able to uh, um, to just share these ideas and, and um, raise up a, a I, you know, you say it better than me, but, but raise up a group of, of people that are willing to pay that price that's necessary to, to, to tear down the tyrant.
0: Yeah, I mean, we that's the, the hope. And that's the, you know, I used to tell my kids when I taught in a brick and mortar school, I would tell them that history doesn't repeat itself. History is inert. History is just words on a page. What happens is the reason we say history repeats itself is because humans— Humans who have agency, who have free will, we continue making the same stupid mistakes. Mm -hmm. That's why it seems like history repeats itself. You know, it's like uh, the French philosopher Charles Pinot Duclos. But here's the thing: here's the thing. And I'm sorry to
1: interrupt, but the thing that you say we keep making the same stupid mistakes. But think about it: even the South Sea Company—it sure wasn't a mistake for the people that were making bank on the. For the, you know, those friends, it was a mistake for the people to allow it to happen, but it was not a mistake for them. So in other words, like people are always going to use their power and authority to prop themselves up, make themselves rich, and give themselves power over the people.
0: Yeah, and Trenchard and Corden actually have several letters devoted to the fact that when it comes down to it, uh, people more often than not choose power over principle.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, there's one of the, there's several of their letters, a series of them devoted in these Cato's letters devoted to that. And so, yes, we could, you know, look at, you know, as Patrick Henry, I have one lamp by which my feet are guided and that is the lamp of history. I know no way of judging the future, but by the past, right? So if we look and we say, Look at this. 300 years ago, these guys whose names you didn't know until I just mentioned them to you said something based on their study of history was happening in their own day. Now, we have this geometric opportunity to take their study of history, and their study of history is now a part of our study of history. Yeah. And apply it to our own day, so we're sort of, the you know, doubling down on the ability of history to illuminate the path forward, and we can do that. and And think about it. You talk about Nellie Madison sewing together these Cato's letters, Mike. I'm like holding an iPad right now, <laughs> where you can get every one of them for free, in you know, and they're in English for free, 24 hours a day on a piece of glass in your pocket. Yeah. Right? There is no excuse. There might have been an excuse for James Madison not to have read Cato's. But his mother didn't allow it. (laughs) Right. His parents didn't allow it. And it's like I always say, you know, Madison and those founding fathers, they were built before the excuse factories were founded. They did not let, James Madison didn't let his poor health, his slight stature, he didn't let any of that get in his way, right? He overcame. He's like, if I'm not going to be physically intimidating, I'm going to be intellectually intimidating. Jefferson is like, if I can't be the greatest orator, I'm going to be the greatest writer, right? Do not point to your shortcomings and use them as an excuse. Use them as a stepping stone, right? It's like Marcus Aurelius, the obstacle is the way. Right. If you're physically unimposing, that is the way. That obstacle tells you what? You're going to have to be imposing some other way, right? Be imposing intellectually, right? And so there are all of these things. And so you can just imagine if James Madison could have had access Cato's letters on a piece of glass. So what excuse do we have? We have no excuse. And Mike, just imagine imma- the, the number of people, if you count, now this is a thing I've done to just make a point to people because everybody always, we can't get this done. It's too far gone. Rubbish. We can get it done, right? We can definitely get this done. We can restore liberty to this people. And if you look and you count all the people who served in the first Continental Congress, the second Continental Congress, the Confederation Congress, and the Constitutional Convention, the, the uh, yeah and the, and the ratifying conventions in all the 13 of the states, if you add up all those men as a percentage of the population of the 13 states, In 1789. That would be the number of people in America and the number of people we would need to be an equal ratio would fit inside a baseball stadium today. Right? Right. We if we can get, if we can feel, you know, fit, if we can fill Chase Field with young men, young women who from the cradle that these words become mother's milk to them. And that's all we need. If we can do that, we can do what our fathers did. Because we will come to appreciate that it is better to die resisting than live submitting.
1: That's right. Amen. And
0: you learn that from 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 Cato's letters. And yeah.
1: And so we're going to talk about um Cato number 69 and why this one? Why why would it make sense for somebody to start with number 69 um just generally like I mean we could have started anywhere and this is the one that 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 you gave me to read.
0: Yeah, well <laughs> I you know it's one of those things like when I first started reading it I read them all because you know how it is when you discover something that just ignites your soul you read it all you read it all and you just devour it so when i just i was like oh my gosh so i just started but then when i became a teacher of these things i realized that um some of the students they they didn't immediately sense that same ardent desire to consume Cato. yeah so I thought, how can I, how can I spark that desire? And so what I decided to do is, with regard to Cato's letters, I would have the, you know, the actual physical books in my classroom. And I'll tell you, just pause for a second. I would talk about these books so much. And most every book that I teach about is published. If it's still published at all, it's published by Liberty Fund. Now, Liberty Fund it, out of Indianapolis. Well, I think they've moved now, but it's Indiana. I, I went and saw their it would fit in this room originally. <laughs> but Liberty Fund, they were receiving so many orders from Arizona all of a sudden. And they wrote me because I had, I had ordered books myself. I was ordering books, extra copies to have in my classroom. Right. Paying for them myself, no, you know, and uh, they wrote me and said, do you know anything about this? And I said, oh, well, my students, I'm teaching, long story short, Liberty Fund sent me, I came home one day from school and my entire front door of my house was blocked from view by boxes of books sent to me as a thank you by Liberty Fund. Oh, Wow. So I didn't open them. I put them in the car and we took them up to school. And that morning I had all the kids come up and we unboxed them together. Oh, how fun. Yeah. It was, a, it, a, you know, one of those things you'll never forget. What and, a cool thing. Yeah. And so um, when you open Cato's letters, something that you notice is they all have titles. Each letter, Trenchard and Gordon themselves gave each letter a title. And so I would tell the kids, it came to me, have them read whatever, just go through the table of contents and read whichever one sparks their fancy, right? Whichever one of these strikes your fancy, read that one. Yeah. Well, I noticed that a lot of kids started gravitating to 69 and I'm like, okay, what's the title? So the title, I don't know if you, do you have it there?
1: I'm pulling it
0: up right now. So the title is Address to the Freeholders, et cetera, about the choice of their representatives, which doesn't sound sexy. (laughs) No, it doesn't. You know, that doesn't sound. But I guess, you know, you read through it and boy, from the first sentence, this hits you between the eyes. And you sit up and you pay attention to what these long deceased heroes of liberty have to say to you speaking to you as a voice crying from the dust you know what's interesting mike is these two men they boy tracking down any information about them is nearly impossible they want if you read the introduction written by gordon he after mr trenchard passed away gordon who was 34 years younger than trenchard gordon's like you know I'm not gonna give a bunch of information on Mr. Trenchard. He he didn't want to be famous. He wanted the con the the message, not the messenger, to be the focus. So, uh, when you that
1: seems to be a um, tribute to his time and place. You know, you know, the the idea of of fame is is. I wouldn't say it's a modern idea, but but the idea of, of just, just trying to get famous, you know, the, the really great people abhorred that idea.
0: Right. It wasn't fame for fame's sake. Yeah. You know, if you were famous because of some great thing you'd done, that was okay. If the universe bestowed fame upon you, but it was not, Virtuous to seek after fame. So, anyway, from the first sentence of Cato number 69, which was published March 10th, 1722. So, 301 years ago, and a little change. You don't, the title's not sexy. So, I wondered, what are these kids seeing? And if you read, I mean, just the first sentence, you pretty much get why these kids were so fascinated.
1: Yeah, so it says um, to the freeholders, citizens, and burghers of the county, cities, and towns of Great Britain, gentlemen, there is no natural or political body, but is subject to the variations and injuries of time. Both are composed of springs, wheels, and ligaments, all in perpetual motion and all liable to wear out and decay. And as the parts are mortal, the whole must be mortal too. But as natural bodies may continue their existence and preserve their duration by action, by the addition of new particles, or by removing from time to time all occasional obstructions which clog their motion and check their vigor as long as their stamina, first principles, or original constitution are capable of subsisting, so a political machine may do the same. And some writers in politics have asserted uh, that the same might be immortal, which is not my opinion.
0: Okay. So all you have to look at this, if you don't see, after reading this, if you don't see the fingerprint of Cato's letters in the Declaration of Independence, then you're, you're not paying attention. Yeah. Because this is exactly what Jefferson was writing about in the Declaration of Independence. So basically he, so this was written by John Trenchard. And he says that, you know, in, in the body politic, in a government, in a society, it's made up of various objects. It's made up of springs, wheels, ligaments, and all those things are liable to decay. And that when you see that decay happening, you do something to replace those parts. Right. Right. And he says, I don't believe as some writers have said that these parts are immortal because, and the analogy I always use is imagine you have a car, Mm -hmm. your dad gives you a car and it's an awesome car. Right. But you have, uh, let's say the starter on that car is not working and you have to go out and you have to manually bang on the starter to get it to spin past the dead spot so you can eventually start the car with the ignition. Now, you can do that or you could replace the starter. Yeah. And then you wouldn't have to work. That doesn't change the overall nature or function. The car's function is still to get from A to B, Right. The car still has the same basic components. It still looks nice. It still has the reverence that is due to right. this antique, right? And it's been serviceable and good. And then if the next month, one of the tires blows out, you're not going to say, well, I, I, we can't get a new tire. This is the tire that came with it. <laughs> Our fathers gave us this car and this car had this tire. And if this tire is gone... That must be God's will. Yeah. And we just have to keep driving this car on three wheels or else find, I don't know, maybe a piece of wood or something when why not, as Trencher said, replace the wheel? Right. And then that car continues to be functional, continues to form to uh, provide the same service to you. It is of benefit to you. It does for you what every machine ever designed in human existence is supposed to do for you. It is supposed to be a benefit to you. Right. It is supposed to make it easier for you to do something. And I think the
1: important thing is that, or one of the important things is that the car doesn't precede the, the benefit or the person. In other words, the, 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 the person wasn't made for the car. The car was made for the person. And just the same way, government politics isn't made for um, the—we're not made for the government. The government was made for and by us.
0: Right. There is no question that, you know, God did not create a government other than the family. Yeah. All right. Now, when people began to multiply and to divide off into into distinct societies— there is no mention at all in Holy Scripture of a government dictated to them by God. Right. Now, Trenchard and Gordon go over this in Cato's letters. Uh, Algernon Sidney goes over this in discourses that you can't find it. The only time you find God, not, not, not endorsing necessarily, but um, denigrating a particular form of government is when Israel begs him to let them have a king like everybody else. Uh-huh. And the prophet Samuel tells them, No, you shall not have a king because if you have a king, they will, you know, rape and enslave your daughters and wives. They will take your sons and they will sacrifice them to war. And the God of Israel says to Samuel, You know what? they've rejected me, not you. Let them do. That's the only time. And then, and then,
1: and I love it because then he proves the point right. by giving them, um, uh, no, oh, who's the first King, um, Saul, Saul, and then David. And then, um, uh, Solomon, <laughs> Solomon. Thank you. And, and it proved the exact point of sending them to war, stealing their, mm-hmm. their, uh, raping their their women, stealing their money, and creating palaces larger than the temple. Yeah. I mean, all these things became exactly what was predicted.
0: Right, and so what sixty nine letter sixty nine opens with is saying, this government was created to serve the people. People created government to serve themselves. Now, its created government has its function people, offices, sometimes these things begin to decay and you cannot say, well, this is the car that my, you know, my grandpa gave me. If I change something in the car, if I improve something in the car, then I'm insulting my grandpa. No, because the car, your grandpa bought that car to serve his purpose That car, like you so eloquently said, the car was made to serve the driver, not the driver, the car. Right. Right. And so, Trenchard says, don't get caught up in thinking that this machine that you've created to serve you is immortal. It isn't. It is subject to, what does he say? He says, it's subject to wear out and to decay. Right. And sometimes he says, There'll be some obstruction which clogs the motion. Okay, we'll fix that obstruction. Get rid of don't it. Yeah. don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? If the bathwater gets dirty, you don't say, "Well, I guess, I guess we have to throw this out because it's dirty and it's not doing its job of cleaning the baby." No, you take the baby out and you throw out the bathwater. Right. But in this or in this analogy that we were using, you don't take the car and say, "Oh, well, the tire went flat." Time to just pull, pull this into the junkyard and abandon it. No, change the bloody tire. Yeah. Find out what... Oh, and, and, if the, and at the same time, you don't put wings on it and say, okay, now... Yeah. Also, right. right. Also, don't put... Yeah, you don't put three steering wheels in the car. Right. You don't put 12 wheels in on the car. You don't do lots of things that even though wing are... Can a plane travel faster than a car? Yes. If you put wings on a car, is it going to fly? No. Right. But Mike, for generations now, politicians have been taking the car of the Constitution, refusing to change the starter, refusing to change the tires. And not only that, but putting wings on the car, Mm -hmm. putting four steering wheels in the car, Doing all of these things that maybe in and of themselves are fine, but do not leave the car functional. Yeah. They, they make the car something that first of all now hardly resembles a car. And second of all, that car no longer serves the purpose of benefiting the driver. So instead of getting me from A to B, all it has become now is a money pit. Yep. Now it's just something that I have to keep because along comes somebody and says, you know what would help this car? What would help this car is if we had wings on it. Okay. Well, you know what would help this car if we had propellers in the front? You know what would help this car if we had three drivers?
1: And it's amazing how, how those that same mechanic that is offering all those services to you and that you're paying for now all of a sudden you become a slave, not just to the car, but to the mechanic that's putting all these things on there. Right. The mechanic can tell you
0: all he wants, but if doing what the mechanic suggests leaves you with a car that you can't drive to work. Yeah. I don't care how good a mechanic he is. Don't tell me that this is a better car. If this car that once got me from a to B now does nothing but suck my property, my money, and my time. Yeah. Forget it. It's like Sydney said, right? No one's going to listen to the shoemaker who tells you that this is the best shoe ever made if that shoe hurts you when you put it on.
1: See, and, and you could, and I could see like Chundred and Gordon, you know, having to be explicit about that um, because we were talking about, I mean, they had a king. And so it's really important to say, hey, listen, then, you know, the, the, the natural right of king, there's no such thing as a natural right of kings. Like that has to be kind of, impl- it has to be said and repeated over and over when you have a a king that goes from father to son. Um, in America, we have no excuse because we have the, con- we have supposedly this constitution that was supposed to limit government, supposed to limit it into what is known as government and not have it go outside into some other monster that is not government
0: right but there are three things and trenchard and gordon will go over them and i've sort of distilled them into three v's regardless of having a constitution that constitution is nothing but a dusty old parchment unless you have three things and start with the letter v virtue vigilance and valor if you don't have those three things words on a piece of paper are inert right They cannot restrain a tyrant. You know, Madison said, there's nothing but a parchment barrier, right? What were you going to tell the tiger? Oh, I'm over here behind this piece of paper. You can't get (laughs) me. I mean, because that's essentially what we're doing, right? We're telling this tyrant, well, you can't take away my guns because the Second Amendment says you can't. Right. So we're going to go ahead and do that.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. And now- Here's the registry. Here's the, you know.
0: Yeah. And you have tyranny for dummies. And chapter one is get control of the education. So for over a hundred years now, kids from American kids from the age five to the age 18 are taught that the Second Amendment protects the right of the military to keep and bear arms, not individuals, right? They're taught also that the Supreme Court defines what the law really is. So you have the tyrants gained control of education. Chapter two in Tyranny for Dummies is disarm the people because now they don't know their rights. They don't know the source of their rights. They're even taught that the tyrant actually is the source of their rights mm-hmm. or even that the constitution is the source of their rights. And then being disarmed, the tyrant knows that there's nothing you can, once you do find out, once you you know awake from this slumber, and you awake to an awful sense of what's going on around you. Then it's like those Athenians that went and cried to Solon, "Hey, you were right about Pisistratus. He's weaselly. He's a tyrant now. He took our arms." And Solon responds with, "You put his your weapons into his hands. Now, as his slaves, you must do as he commands." I'm a ninety-three year old man. I'm done. I did my best, right? And so we don't have that excuse. But imagine if kids were taught this. And instead of saying, okay, we have one hour this, you know, this week that we're going to talk about the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence. Or this semester. <laughs> or right? If we have one, instead of, you know what, like I would do, let's take three hours and talk about Cato's letter number 69. Mm-hmm. Let's take a month and talk about Cato's letters because I don't care who said it. If it fires you up and if it convinces you that Liberty is something celestial that has a, a very high price placed upon it by heaven and that every generation has an obligation to pay that price one way or the other then I don't, you don't need to read all the rest. It would be wise because out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, the truth of all things to be established. Right. So you don't want to just have Cato's letters. But Mike, I'm telling you, there could be a person read letter 69 and 70 and know more about liberty, its value and your obligation to it as an inheritor of liberty than you would in four years of college, three years of law school, twelve years of you know of public school. Yeah, you would know more just studying those two Cato's letters, and that is precisely why you will never read those two Cato's letters. You will never read them in school. I don't care how brilliant and how private and how patriotic your professor is. Those names are not going to be mentioned, my friend.
1: Yeah, well, they're lost. They're lost to history because if if somebody were to read them, it will put a microscope right onto um, the ills of today. I mean, you you can literally it's it's once you read it, you just it just it's like the world opens up and you go, oh my gosh, I cannot believe. In other words it allows you to repent. It allows you to say, I got to change my ways because I have allowed tyranny to enter into my life and, and, and to be a part of our society. And so it's up to me to stop it.
0: Yeah. And it's like, they say you, these people that read these, particularly if you read them before you are Mm co-opted by the, so-called education system before you are programmed by the plutocrats, then you will read these and you will know that it is not only a, a, an obligation, it's not only a possibility, but it's an obligation to do what? To remove the obstructions, to, as they say, to supply the machine with new parts when the old ones become decayed or worn out. Which, what? You can do that. But imagine learning that. The
1: Declaration of Independence says it's our right and responsibility to do that. It is
0: your right. It is your duty to get rid of those guardians and find new ones. And this is what they're saying. That whether it's true or not that these things in the Constitution are immortal, a political body, he says, has the advantage of a natural, a human body. We can look into its inmost frame and and contexture. And when any of its constituent parts are decayed or worn out, we can supply it with new ones. And we can frequently annex, add to it, stick on it, additional props and buttresses to support for some time a tottering building and hinder it from falling upon our heads. When you see that the Constitution is hanging by a thread, that gives you the opportunity to throw some rope around that thing and really strengthen it, right? But if you're, not, if you're not being virtuous, you don't care. right? If you're not being vigilant, you won't notice. And if you're not being valiant, then when you care and you notice, you will do nothing about it. And I'm telling you, those who run things in this country and those whose object and design it is to destroy liberty here and in every country, they count. They don't care if you're virtuous. They don't care if you're vigilant so long as you're not valiant. They rely on your cowardice because a lot of us see what's going on A lot of us care about it going on, but how many of us do anything about it going on? And, you know, this used to bother me a lot, Mike, because when I read these things, I was like, give me my shotgun. I'm, I'm marching to Washington. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was convinced that that's not your role, right? I'm, I'm not Donald, I'm not James Madison. I'm Donald Robertson. Right. 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 So my job is to share these principles with people. And not to say that I won't have some role uh, in in fighting to restore liberty, but the point being that if I can put these principles, if I could get, imagine this, every teenager in America reads letters 68 68, 69, and 70. Imagine the renaissance of republicanism with a small r that we could have in this country. Imagine just some of those kids that are coming up and with which the creator has endowed with, with um, charisma.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: With, has endowed with eloquence has endowed with an ability to write so that these kids can not only see the obstructions, can not only detect the decay, but can do something about repairing it.
1: Well, and part of that repair, and he talks about this, he talks about that when when a state, and I had to look up this word, is in a kashexi, kashexi. Mm-hmm. is that how you pronounce in- it? Kashexi, Um, that when it has become chronically ill weekend when it, when, when you can't do anything about it, it's time to sell the car. It's time to send the car to the, to the, to the junkyard. It's time to separate ourselves instead of putting ourselves in danger. Every time we we go on the road, it's time to say, you know what? We need to separate. We need to start our own virtuous thing and be valiant to that instead of, you know, instead of, um, continuing to um uh, uh give air, give give power or give you know any kind of credence to um this thing that we used to call government
0: right. It's time to abandon the car because it's not really even a car anymore, is it right? It's, it's not- got wings on it, it's got you know, it's got five steering wheels it it no it you know it has. Um, it's got the greatest batteries, you know, it's got, right. It's got weird sirens and it. it's got all these things. It's no longer a car yeah. because what is the definition of a car? A car is this vehicle created by mankind to allow a person to get more efficiently, more quickly from a to B. Well, if, because of this mechanic that you've relied on, and he's taken this car, and month after month, week after week, you're just dumping money, spending money, giving it this to to this mechanic who is now using your car as nothing more than an experiment as a way, you pay him a thousand dollars, and he goes to the wing manufacturer and spends five hundred dollars, and the wing manufacturer says, "Do whatever you can to keep this guy to keep on as this guy's mechanic." Finally, when the car is in that state and you are funding this mechanic and you are funding the fact that this car is no longer a car, it is time to cut ties with that mechanic and to go buy a new vehicle of your own choosing, whatever you think suits you best, right? From the Declaration of Independence, whatever you decide suits you best. And guess what? Maybe instead of hiring mechanics, maybe you learn about car repair yourself. Might come to that. Maybe there aren't many mechanics, honest mechanics left. And so you look around and you go to a few and every one of these guys you hire is like, you know what would be really good for this car? Some wings. And you're like, nope. In fact,
1: fact, what you really need is you need you need some machine guns that I control because you know there's other cars out there that are going to come and get you. Yeah,
0: other cars are there. I've they're seen dangerous. cars. I've seen cars with machine guns. I think you need a missile. Right. <laughs> right. I think you need a missile, and I think that you you know all of these things. Right. And maybe there comes a time when we cannot find mechanics who are honest, who are virtuous who recognize that we invented the car for one purpose and that we hire him for one purpose and one purpose only to keep this car on the road and keep it functioning for my benefit. Mm -hmm. The minute it stops doing any of that, bye-bye, mechanic. Right. Because you're only a mechanic because I hired you to fix my car you destroy. The minute you start destroying my car, you're no longer the mechanic. Now, if you and your buddies decide to overawe me and I come to cut off my relationship with you and you threaten me or you sue me and take away my house and you take away my, my bank account, whatever you do, there comes a time which as Trenchard says right here he says it is every honest man's duty to do it's time to get rid of that mechanic yeah so that he doesn't go ruining other cars that's right and yeah that's and so, the, yeah
1: go ahead no, no no I think I and I, and I think um and, and whether the mechanic has been around for centuries, it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. And I don't care who certifies. Right. Whether it's, you know, the Republican party or the democratic party certifying that this is a really skilled mechanic. I don't care. And yeah. And I would, I would say, are, are we at that state of Kashuk where it's time to abandon the car and abandon the mechanic? Like we were in 1776. Uh, yeah. I, I, that's, you know well,
1: that's Here is what I would say: If you want to save the car, and for, you know, if you want to save the Constitution, the best way to save the Constitution is to leave it, is to leave the Union, to separate. Uh, well, and so yes, yeah, so if you want to save the car, the best way to save the car is to to get rid of the.
0: Maybe you buy a car, a new car, yeah, and you you use as a model for your new purchase the car in its original state, the one that the mechanic ruined. Yeah. But it's like when people ask me, you know, politicians, you know, people say to politicians, what's the first thing you're going to do? And they start naming, in my first hundred days, I will do, you need to undo. Right. What are you going to do? Way before you start doing, (laughs) you need to undo. Take the wings off the car. Take the wooden wheels. Take the machine guns off the car. Take the five steering wheels out of the car. Right. Take all of these things out of the car that have proven to do nothing more than impoverish me and prevent me, obstruct me, in the words of Trenchard and Gordon, from moving as it was designed to do. Right. And I love what he says here, Mike, as you go along. He, you know, because this is one thing you get from Trenchard and Gordon is their solutions, you know, they don't just say, here's the problem. They say, well, there is a solution. And so I love how he says, "There, our country abounds, or he said, starts it out, there is wealth and power in being. Guess what, guys? You are alive. Our ancestors who've passed away can do nothing about the state of our union. Nothing you can. There is wealth and power in being alive. You are alive, and while you are yet alive, it is your duty and your right to alter or abolish any government which has ceased to serve the function of government. And that phrase, there is wealth and power in being. Man, if you're listening to this and you're 16 years old, brother, let me switch. Let me Freaky Friday with you and we will get this business done. It'll be like Sydney said, yeah. you have this generation of kids, or he said, you know, young men who were hid and unregarded, nobody famous, right? It reminds me of that. Who is it? Um, uh, Plutarch. Who writes about, uh, is it Plutarch who writes about Alcibiades, the, the, the Greek, uh, treacherous Greek who writes, um, you know, you don't have to come from a big city or a famous family to do great things, you know. And so you may be out there thinking, I'm nobody, I'm no one, I'm not rich, I'm not powerful, but you're alive, man. Right. Your earning years are in front of you. Your learning years are in front of you. Because as Sydney says, when you come to that age that you are now old enough and strong enough to bear witness of your love of liberty, then that testimony that you bear will be greater than the ones born before you. And will be talked about throughout all ages of time, so long as liberty exists.
1: And, and, and. Sydney lived the part didn't
0: he Yeah yeah Sydney I
1: mean yeah he
0: he walked the walk for sure right up to the scaffold and his head being chopped off in the name of I'm not going to back down right I will die resisting rather than live submitting and so uh, Trenchard writes there is wealth and power in being our you know the the parts of the government may be obstructed may be worn out and decayed you have you are young and Powerful. You're alive. Don't look back and say, why did y'all not fix this? Just fix it, man. Right. There is wealth now and power. Time. If it
1: is to be, it's up to me.
0: Yeah. Our country, he writes, now he's talking about England, but we can say it of our own country. Our country abounds with men of courage and understanding. And I agree with him there. Our country abounds with men of courage and understanding. We're just not organized. Mm -hmm. The minute that we recognize that we all can come together and fight a common enemy, that will be the most 1776 thing we could do. Yeah. Because George III could have picked off those colonies. He made it to where they united, and that was the big problem. England could have overawed Georgia, South Carolina, North. They could have overawed Massachusetts. But when he decided to treat Americans as one whole enemy, then we decided to act like one whole enemy.
1: And there is no reason why we shouldn't consider our, um, those in those elite in Washington any different than, um, than the king.
0: They should be considered worse.
1: Yeah. Enemy aliens that are. Oh, I mean, they, that's what they are.
0: They are absolutely enemies of mankind. And as you know, Sidney writes against which every man is a soldier. That's right. Or not choose not to be a soldier. That's fine. But lead follower, get out of the way. As my dad used to say. <laughs> Not everyone's a leader, but be a good follower. And if you're neither of those things, get out of the way so the rest of us can get some stuff done. Yeah. But he says, our country abounds with men of courage and understanding, nor are there wanting, so lacking, those of integrity and public spirit. We still have some men with integrity and who love their country. We still have those guys, right? There is, he says, an ardent, a burning desire and diffusive, you know, spreading, growing, love of liberty throughout the kingdom. Now, how are these people to be recognized? I think they're to be recognized by the next phrase here. And many, many of these people who, are, who have integrity, who love their country, who have courage and understanding, and who love liberty, they begin to be tired, sick, and ashamed of party animosity of quarreling with their neighbors, their relations, and often with their best friends to gratify the pride, ambition, and repine of those who only sell and betray them. If you think Donald Trump gives a damn about you, you're a fool. If you think Joe Biden gives a damn damn about you you are a fool and yet here we are and I was guilty of it in younger days of letting my attachment to these tyrants alienate my loved ones all in service of these men who would slit your throat, literally, if that's all that stood between them and power. I'm telling you right now, if you were the only person standing between any person that we know of right now running for office as president and that Oval Office, if it was only you, they would cut you from ear to ear.
1: You see, that's, I think that's an important point that there's no difference between the kingdoms of ore and today. In other words, you know, we have stories from all over of of kings killing people to get power, raising armies to do nothing but destroy, you know, a brother or a, um, or even a son, you know, to maintain their power. And to think like that doesn't happen today or wouldn't happen today is, is, completely insane of course there's no difference they
0: would they would cut their own mother's throat of course they would they they would do anything i don't i i dare anyone who supports anyone any of these politicians who would point to them and honestly and sincerely say that is a man of integrity right no way no way No way. You might say they're a good politician. You might say they're good for America, which isn't true. Because let's not forget, it was Donald Trump who enthroned Dr. Fauci. That's right. So don't get that twisted, y'all. It was Donald Trump who said, take the guns and then worry about due process later.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, let's not get it twisted. You know, no one party has a monopoly on tyranny. No, so they work
1: together to support they the actually, They
0: actually do. So he says they are sick and tired because all of this, they want you to keep fighting. That's right. They want to keep the people divided. They want blacks and whites to have things to argue over. They want men and women to have things to argue over. They want atheists and Christians to have Christians and Muslims, rich and poor. They want landlords and tenants. They want bosses and employees, they want all of this to keep going. Because while we're involved in these disputes, we fail to lift our eyes and see on the walls of the castle all of those men laughing at us, knowing that we are going to destroy ourselves and that when we do, when we allow this animosity and this quarreling, to weaken us all, then they all they have to do in is come in and just scrape up the remains and declare themselves. Because they will put someone forward as our savior. Yep. It'll be the man on a horse, right? He will ride in and save us from ourselves. Now, but what does Trenchard say? It is yet in our power to save ourselves. And he says, most men have an inclination to do it. And it is only owing to the art and address of our common enemies if we do not agree on the means of doing it. So I would say that anyone who causes division among the people, division that would prevent them from uniting in purpose. And that purpose being to dethrone the tyrants and those who support them, I would say that person should not be followed, should not receive a vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if that person's trying to convince us that someone else is the problem, not not, you know, not this, then that person is working, if not one of the tyrants, is working on their behalf.
1: Well, and like he says in this next paragraph, he says, you know, who are the people that we need to find? He says, um, uh, if there's such a general disposition towards liberty through the whole kingdom, that if there should be found in the next house of commons, in other words, these are the people that we need to have in the next house of commons. They are honest, bold, wise men who would have saved Sodom and Gomorrah. So there's like the trick, right? So, are there ten good politicians that would have saved in mm-hmm. more? Is there one? Well, let's not, it, you know, are
0: there ten honest citizens of the United States? Are there ten honest, bold, and wise Americans who are willing to be a follower, if not a leader? Are you able to recognize the, courageous and informed are you able to recognize those wiser than you and follow them are there 10 of them you know and if not then as he says he's like my heart can speak no more right then we're done for
1: yeah but I, like mormon said i'll fight but with no faith
0: yeah I'll, yeah i'll go down swinging but you know obviously but i know i'm gonna go down yeah well, then he says, so gentlemen, it lies upon you to give motion to the machine. You are the first springs that give life to all virtuous resolutions, such as you show yourselves, such will be your representatives, such as is the tree, such will be the fruit choose honest men, free and independent men, and they will act honestly for the public interest which is your interest. It is not to be expected that criminals will destroy their own handiwork or that they will reform or punish themselves or that men who have brought our misfortunes upon us will go about in good earnest to redress them or even own that there are such. So powerful. You get the government that you deserve. (laughs) That's right. So don't, think that voting for someone who isn't a candidate for a major party is a waste of your vote because if voting for Liberty is a waste of your vote, then voting doesn't matter. Then there needs to be something. If ballots don't work, then we have to go to bullets.
1: Yeah. There, there, there has to be, you know, we talk about, um, uh, um, balance of power, you know, the, the, um, uh, but the ultimate balance of power is the people itself is the people saying no, whether that's in a jury on a small scale, but even on a larger scale, no, 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 this is, this has got to end. I, I refuse to accept your authority because you have stepped
0: outside it. Right. And it's, you know, we are the ones you say, you're, you're the ones who can decide whether that car gets scrapped and a new one is bought that functions the way cars are supposed to function. You're the one who's going to decide if that mechanic, if you keep paying him, despite the fact that he's turned your car into something unrecognizable and not only does not serve your purpose, but impoverishes you, you are going to decide that.
1: And don't think like just by you pointing it out, he's going to change. Hey, you,
0: why did you do that?
1: He's not, he's the criminal will not change his, will not fix it himself. Yeah.
0: I mean, you're, you never, you never hear someone running for president saying, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be bound. Well, except for Ron Paul,
1: right? right.
0: (laughs) You never hear someone say, I'm going to be bound by the constitution. And rather than promise you things I'm going to do, I'm going to promise you things I'm going to undo. You just don't hear it except from him, right? You hear how they're going to, I'm going to get in there, and I'm going to be better than the next than the last guy, and I'm going to I'm going to do all these great things in my first 100 days, et cetera, et cetera. And they do nothing, guys. Obamacare is still the law. Yeah. Trump didn't undo Obamacare. No, Biden didn't do any of Trump's stuff. Right? You'll see in the news. Go Google it. You'll see Biden says the Biden administration has decided to. To carry on with the Trump policy on X.
1: We're, and we're still at war, maybe in a different place in some places, but we're still at war.
0: Right. Biden was going to end the wars. No, he hasn't. There's still troops in Afghanistan. Right. And today you had, or yesterday you had Lindsey Graham, who, you know, never met a war he didn't like. You have Lindsey Graham calling Goulds. for us to reinvade Afghanistan. Goulds. These people are. And I'm telling you right now, spoiler alert. But Trenchard and Gordon have one of the Cato's letters uh, called on heroes of heroes of and tells exactly what we should do with these politicians who vote to keep us at war. I won't tell you what it is, (laughs) but you go get yourself a copy of Cato's letters. Look for the one about heroes. Read that and see what they suggest we should do with these politicians. Don't
1: wait for the podcast to come out. We will cover it. But yeah, read it first.
0: So... (laughs) we won't have, these politicians are never going to come and no. undo the bad things their predecessors have done because they're all part of the same criminal organization. And,
1: and don't think, don't think like you can not only vote, but don't think you can like file suit against them because all, all the judges have been bribed by the government. They're the, the judges are being paid, are are on the payroll of the government. So they're going to rule in favor of the government. I mean, that's just like, who's the paymaster, you know? So, so if you bring up a lawsuit against um, you know, some municipality or some government official or something or something, they're not going to look in at the Liberty angle of it. They're going to look at, Oh, there's precedence for this. There's precedence for that. And since some other uh, tyrannical judge uh, ruled this way. I'm going to rule the same way, which is always going to be against the people. They're on the peril of the
0: mob. And that's, and it's the mob that, that runs the show. Uh, and he says that um, deep wounds must be probed and searched to the core before they can be cured. Love that. Now I, when I hear this, I think of these committee meetings of Congress (laughs) where they had Fauci and they had all these people, you know, the FBI director and all of these people, the IRS director, and they come in and it's just kabuki theater. It's sound and fury signifying nothing. They have them come in, Rand Paul goes up one side and down the other and nothing happens.
1: And all all it proves is that they know that it's unconstitutional that they're willfully going against the freedom of the people. But
0: what has happened? Is Hunter Biden in jail? No. Is Fauci in jail? No. Is Hillary Clinton in jail? No. Is the IRS director in jail? No. Is the FBI director in jail? No. And never will be. Never will be. Never will be. Never until we realize that we give motion to the machine. Right. Until we fire that mechanic, scrap that car, They will never, those people I just named will never, not only will they not be in jail, but guess what? You know that famous picture of Donald Trump at that party with the Clintons? Yes. You are going to have a picture of your favorite politician at parties with Fauci, with Hillary Clinton, with the IRS director, because they don't give a damn about you. They would slit your throat. And I mean that quite literally. They would slit your throat if you stood between them and power, them and money. That's right. Because nothing has happened to them and nothing will happen to them. Right. What do you think would happen if in a, in bizarro world, there was a committee, a congressional committee that found out that nine 11 was an inside job what do you do you think george w bush would be hanged as a traitor no way no way he'd a matter of fact he'd have people going on all the shows and he himself you know i don't know You know, that's my clinton i can't do george (laughs) i don't know how to do george W. uh wouldn't be no that's george hw bush i don't know how to do w but you know he would just he would get paid to be a, a a, a associate professor at Princeton. Yes, he would. Yes, he would. Fauci's getting paid a quarter of a million dollars to go around and give speeches. And that's what would happen. Why? Because criminals, there's honor among thieves. Yeah, They're not going to undo their own stuff, man. That's right. And they're not even going to admit. What, do you think, George... I mean, when Bill Clinton was proved to have had relations you know, intimate relations with Monica Lewinsky after you can go and watch on YouTube where he's like, he's pounding the pulpit, oh, right? Was so- I am going to say it one last, he was so angry. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. Right. He's, he's, pulling, he, oh, he's, he's, the finger. he's wagging his finger at all you prudes <laughs> and all you Republicans. And then what a month later we get, I will admit that we had inappropriate relations. What meaning what exactly what I was accused of, I'm doing did it matter? no, he was reelected He was reelected and 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 overwhelmingly reelected right and it was funny at the time because we were like, well, that ruined him. I'm like, are you serious? well because here's the thing is that's like the to me that's
1: like the crumb that they put out there in other words, there's so much stuff you had on the Clintons and any politician that you could get, but that was just the here here's a little red meat for you guys you know we're gonna we're gonna talk about this this little sexual um indecency but we're not gonna talk about the real crimes that this family has done yeah we're not gonna talk about the actual lives that they have killed that they have taken away we're not gonna talk about the actual um you know uh, uh drug smuggling that they have done we're not gonna talk about anything that that and, and and this is not just a cleanse. I'm talking about every single politician. Yeah, read
0: the history of the Bush family.
1: Yeah, it's insane. It's the insane.
0: Walker family. Read the history of that family. You know George Herbert Walker Bush. Yeah, read the W. The Walker family and the Bush. All of them are the same. These elites. They're the
1: same. Right. Do we go look at the history. How, how did L, how did LBJ become president? Huh?
0: Hmm, how wow. did Kennedy become president? Right. Joe Kennedy. Made deals with the mafia. Yeah, why? Why? Why was Kennedy assassinated? Because Bobby Kennedy starts busting up the mafia. There's, there. You know, it's it, the point is, these guys are always going to do this, and it is up to you to undo it. That's and it. I love what he says. He's like, "Look, you got to probe and search to the core. We have got to hold these people. We have got to hold Nuremberg trials." Yeah. And the minute someone says, well, I was just doing what I was told to do, hang him. Yeah. There should be a gallows with a hundred nooses. One lever, hang him.
1: There's there's absolutely no fear of the Sword of Damocles.
0: Zero. And, and here's today. what they say. They say these people that did the damage, they, they're not going to let the operation go on. <laughs> and they're certainly not going to not going to actually admit that there's a cure because they can be put at ease by the death of the patient. Guys, if this doesn't ring for the COVID generation, they profit from murdering you. And if you don't think it's murder, what is that? The premeditated killing of another in cold blood? Every death The result of one of those vaccines, Fauci and any politician who promoted them should be held. And, you know, Trenchard and Gordon says this, that you're not only guilty, not only is the guy, you know, holding the gun guilty of the crime, but any of those people that made that crime possible. Mm -hmm. So all of those people should be lined up and held accountable. That's right. Right? That's right. Because ultimately, it's going to be better for me than for thee. Because they profit from the murder. You've got to understand that. And these committee meetings never do anything. And it's time to realize that. Yeah. That it's theater. It's it's like, here's the script. Read off the script. Do the thing and scene. And nothing changes. Nothing. And it's time to do that. And then, of course- Let us not, therefore, my countrymen, desert or deceive ourselves, or think we can be safe if such men get into power. Let's not again be deluded with false promises, deceitful assurances, but, and here's the thing, let us judge what men will do by what they have done. Judge men what they will do by what they have done. And then listen to the list of things that he says, if any of this has happened with any of these people involved in it, you can know that they should never be given power. So he says what? Exorbitant pensions, outrageous taxes, wild and expensive expeditions, Increasing the public debt. Standing troops quartered up and down the country. Oppressive companies. The destruction of your trade and industry. Private men raising immense estates upon your ruin. Bribing and corrupting the guardians of the public liberty. If that's happened... When that man was in any way connected with making those policies, that man does not deserve power. That man is a criminal and should be treated accordingly. Check,
1: check, double check. Yep. And, and then and again, this this speaks right to today. It really does. And he
0: asks, he's like, What do you think? What about all these complaints? Guys, look at the, those things. It's like I tell people to go to the Declaration of Independence and read the complaints, the grievances against the king. And
1: you're like, "Oh, is that all?"
0: I'm like, "Is that it?" <laughs> you know, I mean Caligula blushes <laughs> when he sees what our politicians do today. Can I mean when it someday comes out, which I'm prayerful and faithful that it will, just how demonic Some of these despots are, I think some people will be shocked to learn of the extent of the evil. That these men that you support and that you praise and that you fight with your family over, Mm -hmm. that you alienate your friends and loved ones over. That you cause fights with your neighbors over when you find out just how vile and vicious and disgusting and demonic that man was. How foolish are you gonna feel? And you don't have to worry about is it true? That's why we're reading this letter to you now. Right. You know it's true. And he says, Are you, what about every one of these complaints? As Mike just said, check, check, check. All of, look at these things, oh. guys. Outrageous taxes, wild and expensive expeditions. Bloody Joe Biden goes to, uh, where was it? Um, Poland and has like a 24 car, uh, what what do they call it? Motorcade? Motorcade? Yeah. 24 cars. Obama goes if, if to King Spain. Maybe Assad would have been. Oh, yeah. Over that. Obama goes to Spain and he rents out a castle for his family for holiday, right. not for some official thing. Right. And when I say he rents it out, we rented it out for them. Yep. Exorbitant taxes. I mean, come on. Increasing the public debt. <laughs> standing troops quartered up and down your country. Trust me, the local police are now the standing army. Yep. 100 I mean, destruction of trade and industry. Dude, why is nothing made in America anymore? Because these oppressive companies have bribed and corrupted the guardians of liberty. And they now work together to build uh, immense estates upon your ruin. That's right. Fauci got that golden parachute, man. He did. And and he is a multi-millionaire. He was
1: the most, he was the highest paid public official in America.
0: Yeah, more than the president. Yeah. And he made millions in the sale of stock. Yep. And upon the ruin. And he made commissions on those vaccines. Do you know any, exactly. Do you know anyone who lost their job because of COVID? Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you know anyone who lost their wives? Do you know anyone who committed suicide? All of that should be laid at the feet of Fauci and any of the politicians who supported him. And,
1: and, and they will laugh
0: unless you do something about it. Yeah, they're they're laughing now. Yeah, they'll hear this you know, look, podcast you, you, you and you laugh. Can
1: place all this in front of them, and oh. they'll be like, ha, "Ha ha ha! What you gonna do?"
0: But the worst thing isn't them, Mike. Right? Tyrant's it's, gonna tyrant. Liar's gonna lie. Right? The worst thing is the millions of Americans who are stupid and servile enough to stand between you and holding them those people accountable. Yeah. So what happens if you awake to a sense of your awful situation? Well, then Cato has the response. Now, therefore, my best friends is the time to help yourselves. Now act honestly and boldly for liberty or forget the glorious and charming sound.
1: You are listening to End
0: of Love Remain. The first of 23
1: installments requested by Dr. Levitt trying to be in compliance here
0: because we're taking him and that whole organization down.